0: Welcome back to the Purpose Producer Podcast. I'm your host, Georgia Dawkins, and this is season four of the Purpose Producer. And all season, we are talking about Black boy joy. Y'all know I've been talking to Black men of all different ages and backgrounds about how they define joy, how they cultivate joy and how they spread joy. So today, we are talking to someone who I would say is a joy expert, okay? He's not only a comedian, but he's an author and a director and a producer at all things entertainment. Please welcome to the Purpose Producer Podcast, Mr. Sampson McFarman.
1: Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> thank you to the Purpose Producer. Uh, thank you, Georgia. Again, thank you for for your platform. Thank you for prioritizing our stories. Thank you for uh doing all this you do to be here to create such a great thing and a great space so uh, i'm happy to be here talking to you
0: look you are amazing you were one of the first people actually with the moment i met you uh 2022 we did a a, a pride comedy show together and you were here in atlanta and i was just fascinated one by your career i mean more than 20 years in this game and two by your skin, okay? Cause you were glowing. I said, this man can't be in like a professional.
1: Well, you know, you gotta do the doggone thing.
0: You look so good. And I was like, wow, if that's success in comedy, give me that. The, give me that skin. Received.
1: You know, the the key is is every day you have to define what success is. Every single day. Because I think uh this is some OG wisdom here is um I think we we always see the end, and we're like, "Why am I not there yet?" But I think um, it's it's very important every day to define your success. So the fact that you're sitting here talking to me today, this is success. Um, yes, it is. You know, and and then the next thing you do, and you complete it, that's success. And so every day you define your success.
0: Look, that's real. I've actually been checking in with everybody on the podcast this season, and I've been checking it on their on their joy. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your joy today?
1: Oh, 20.
0: <laughs> oh. It keeps getting better. I just got my first 10 recently. Now this is the first 20. That's amazing. Congratulations. Every day
1: is on 20. Every day I'm I make it a point every day to to be grateful about something you know um a lot of people ain't get up a lot of people can't sit up by (laughs) themselves a lot of people i mean it's a blessing i can go to the grocery store with a debit card ain't nothing wrong with ebt but i can go to the grocery store with a debit card and get whatever i want and bring it back here and eat it that that's enough to be happy about um the weather's nice i'm talking to georgia you know on the producer podcast um, I mean, you just really have to be present and and take every moment that you're in and, and um, gratitude.
0: Absolutely. I have so much gratitude and appreciation for you because you were teaching lessons without really like obviously teaching lessons. So I was watching you when we were in the green room and just how you conducted yourself. And what stood out to me is you were the first comic to get on stage and say, do not record me. Or you wouldn't get on stage until everybody put their cameras down. And so I feel like that's something that in 2023, we take for granted, that anybody and everybody with a camera can just capture us. Tell me why it was important to you as an artist to stand up for your for your work.
1: Uh, I think it is because, well, number one, I have worked so hard. I have worked so diligently and consistently Um, And I've overcome so much that when I walk into a room, I deserve to be treated well. Um, You know, I deserve to be treated the way I wish to be treated. And so that's number one. Um, Number two, it's also we, we forget it's a business. And I think for people of color, particularly, we have been tricked into believing that we should be so happy to have exposure that we should be getting treated however somebody treats us because we're getting exposure when, if we didn't show up to expose ourselves, they wouldn't have an event. <laughs>
0: That's so, true. you know, it y'all would be surprised how many times that happens. Y'all listen to them. That happens a lot. Yeah.
1: You know, and it's, um, I think, uh, it's so layered, but I think that, um, you know, if you if you come into a space and you let somebody dictate to you who you are, that's how they will treat you. And so you have to be very intentional about walking into these rooms going, no, I am the talent. This is who I am. This is my resume. This is what I'm bringing to you. This is what my service is to the people who are going to be in here tonight. And this is what I need so that I can do my job. And um, and if you can't give me that, then. uh I'm going to roll out and you ain't get your deposit back. So make it work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Y'all better make it work. And, and it, was, it was truly amazing to watch you because you've been doing this for so long. Talk to me about what was it like when you first started out in comedy as a black gay man? Like, how did you navigate the space?
1: Ooh. So the first couple years, I was, I was closeted for the first couple of years because, um, I thought that's what you had to do. So I told child support jokes. <laughs> I told jokes about how much coochie I was getting. And they Uh-oh. and they knew that wasn't right because the audience was like, yeah, you don't get that coochie. And then I would go into detail and they'd be like, no, nah, we, don't, we don't do it like that. <laughs> you outed yourself. I would, would kind of out myself a little bit. And, um, it felt very inauthentic. And so at the time, um, I, I really just wanted the freedom to be myself, but uh, I didn't have it at home. Um, it, I grew up in Southeast DC and, and back then we had we had what we called the neighborhood faggies. I know people, you ain't supposed to say that word now, but that, that's what the word, it was neighborhood faggies. We had those, they were cool. But anybody outside of that, you would get, you would kind of get harassed for being gay. So I wanted freedom, and I wanted to express myself, and so the stage was the only place to do that. And uh, long story short, I remember when I first really started doing it, uh, there was a a a uh, it was a a bridge that I used to sit on in Georgetown, D.C. Because I'm from D.C. And um, before shows, there was this place called Sam's or Mr. Smith's or something like that. And I would sit on the the cliff and I would think about jumping because I just hated the fact that I was gay that much. And so I would write everything that I hated about myself on pieces of paper and I would throw those off the cliff. And then I would go to the comedy clubs or to the bars and I would just talk about being gay. And I remember my first, one of my first big gay jokes was... Um, I don't understand why straight men don't like gay men, because we do the same thing straight men do. We play basketball, work on cars, beat up gay people. <laughs> and uh, it just grew from there. Um, at the time, I was one of the only ones running around on the East Coast. And so that made it a little bit more fun. Um, But it did make it more challenging to get booked at clubs and stuff like that. So, because I mean, you you had to. You couldn't just be funny. You had to be super funny. And it was it was a lot of hard work and a lot of perseverance and um, and a journey.
0: I can see that journey on your face as you're just kind of going back through the years. What's going through your like? What images are going through your mind as you think about the journey that you've had?
1: Well. I try to summarize it in short because there's so many parts to it, so many pieces. Um, It wasn't just the fact that I was, you know, a black man, which, you know, for for a comedian who's just black, that back then presented certain challenges. And then on top of that, to be gay. and then we also don't, we also don't talk about how, how other things make it challenging to navigate. Like I was riding a bus to go to do all these shows, and I had a part-time job at Starbucks and UPS. So I would take the Greyhound bus from D.C. to New York and Boston and Philly and Delaware and North Carolina and stuff to go do shows. And then ride six hours, eight hours on a bus, 12 hours on a bus, eating tuna fish after can. And uh to go do a 10, 15 minute set, then have to get on the Greyhound bus, ride eight hours back, wash up in the Greyhound bathroom to be back at work the next morning. And I did that two times a week, three times a week. Um, this was back before the internet was a big thing. So we had to uh say you wanted to get on like Comic View. We had Comic View. There was a there was for, for and this is for black comedians, um there was there was a... Def Jam had changed, but it was still kind of a, a version of Def Jam was coming on. And you had to send videotapes because it was so expensive to get it turned into a file uh, to send on the computer. Like It was just really expensive. So you had to send videotapes in a brown paper bag at the post office. And you had to hope that they saw your tape and called you back. And it was just, uh, it was so many moving parts. I mean, getting on the bus to go to New York and you had to sleep outside of comedy clubs all night for an audition. And now you can just do a self-tape. Now you can just send a a tape. Um, it's just so many, so many different parts. Back then people would boo you if you weren't funny. <laughs> Knock on wood,
0: I never got booed. Um, now you're lucky if they look up from the phone, you know, Yeah, competing with so much going on out here. When you were on the road on on the Greyhound and going from city to city, did people think you were out here getting rich? Because I think people forget that comedy is, you know, something what you got to you got to got to earn it. You got to keep doing that. How long was it before you felt successful as a comedian?
1: Oh, the first night I got on stage because I just knew when I got it. I remember I had on some K-Swiss. Some, some black k-swiss and i had on these military black military uh sweats and a jordan jersey and i just knew that first night that i went up there that i was gone that i was gonna make it and um didn't get booed but they just looked at me it was black people black black people from around the way and they was like uh, this ain't it <laughs> and um I still was. I don't know. I had. I think back then I had like blind, blind ambition, which, as you get older, it turns into to to uh, more faith, which is more wisdom and action. You know. Uh, but to answer your question, I think. Um, oh. It's different things that make me feel successful um, but I think the fact that I have I can go on the road and I headline eight to ten months out of a year is that's good and it's and I do it on my terms
0: That's amazing I feel like now there are so many places you know to your point of social media where if I'm traveling I can find the queer room I can find the queer audience at the time when you were first starting, maybe even 10 years ago, not even 20 years ago, like how did you find the queer audience? How did you find your people?
1: You know, back then it actually was easier because um, everybody was in the closet. You know, everybody's out and gay now. So it's, it's not as novel as it was back then. Back then, I remember when YouTube first became a thing, like in 2008, 2007, 2008, um, my best friend was the one who said, you should, should get on YouTube because at the time, um, everything gay was super underground. And so, um, I was out doing shows and, and things like that. And I remember the boys, uh, all the little closeted boys would come into the clubs with the hoodie on their head and they would sit in the back and it would be packed. The old gays, they didn't care because they, they had been through the AIDS epidemic. They had been through all kinds of fights and shit and stuff like that, <laughs> you know. So they sat in the front. Um, some black women like fag hags would come out. They would be in there with all the gay men would sit in the back. And so um, word got out pretty quickly about me in the gay community because there was not a me running around. I was the only one. And so um, my best friend said, He had run across somebody from like New York or somewhere in Delaware, New York, one of those places that was talking about me and they wanted to get more of me, but they weren't able to come down to D.C. So he said, you should get on YouTube. And I said, YouTube? I'm not getting on YouTube. What is that? And I looked it up and I said, all right, fine. And I started, uh, again, this is back in the day. You know, now you can get on your phone and record a video and boom, upload it. Back then, you had to get a camera. You had to sit the camera down. You had to put batteries in it. Then you had to take the little chip, upload it into the computer. It took an hour for you to upload a 10-minute video. But those were picking up really quick. I would do videos, and um, they would get 10 20,000 views. And um, the audiences grew, and it was, it was different because there was such a sense of appreciation for black queer voices. Um, I mean, it it was bad that everybody was in the closet and down low and stuff, but it was fun too. That's what made it fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because you got a community, you know, Uh, fortunately and unfortunately, there was a lot of people, you know, who had to live in the closet, you know, um, but your career has landed you not only like headlining eight to nine months out of the year, but you had a cruise, uh, a cruise stint. So what was it like being, I would say on the road, but on the ocean, what, what was that like going from port to port?
1: That was beautiful because I got to see a lot of places that look at you doing your research. That, <laughs> that was beautiful because I got to go to and, and, and experience many different cultures, um, that I never even dreamed that I would get to experience, um, even at some, some very challenging times in my, in my personal life. I remember, uh, on my birthday in 2013, 2014, I got booked and I was on the beach at St. Bart's and this is a place, Beyonce and Oprah, this is where they that's their playground. I had, probably ten cent in my bank account. And I remember being on the beach in St. Bart's on my birthday with ten cent on, ten cent in my bank account. And that's where my career has taken me, you know. Um now I came back home with, with two or three grand in my pocket, but <laughs> I, I remember just in between the shows, I was like, wow, I am out here on the beach in a hundred and ten degrees. Living it up.
0: 110 in the shade. Okay.
1: Well, it, it, was, was it, it wasn't shade. It wasn't shade. It was, I actually came home with sunburn. I got burnt.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: And and real quick, I'm too, the, to get back to the boat, the, the, that experience, really, I share that with people because I think we have these, these moments of, um, it's very normal to have these moments of uncertainty but the vastness of that experience just shows you what possibilities can be. And uh, I dealt with that while overcoming, I don't want to necessarily say it was racism, but um, is that my right? I I think it was, it wasn't racism, but there were a lot of gay white men on this particular boat. And, um, And it was apparent that our cultures were very different and and we wouldn't be interacting much.
0: So we talk about going to different states and, you know, just different cities where safety might be an issue, but when you're literally on a boat going to different countries, did you ever have a safety concern on the boat or off the boat?
1: (sighs) Oh, that's a, that's a layered question because on one hand no i i i have always felt very divinely protected um mm-hmm. i feel like n- n- no one could harm me even if they wanted to it, like it that that it is impossible um but um <sighs> there were certain things like i remember at, at, there was one night somebody was that on the no, that was that was on the boat when I was with some black folks. Somebody bought because I don't do drugs with white people. Um, I was on a on a boat with some black folks, <laughs> and somebody bought some weed on the boat that they had bought from Turks and Caicos, and we rolled it up on the deck when we was on the way back to Miami, and I took two hits of that, and I saw myself jump off the side of the boat. I said, I'm going I said I'm not smoking no more of this. I said I'm going back in. And I remember the weed was so strong. I laid on the floor in the cafeteria on the boat. And so, I think
0: That sounds disgusting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I needed that cold floor on my face cuz it kept me it just kept me it kept me grounded literally. But like Mm-mm. that that cold floor it was I needed that cold floor on my face and um and I remember just praying. I said, oh, my God, please get me back to my cabin. And I was sharing the cabin with this dude who did not judge me at all. I think his name was Stacy or something. I, I, I crawled. I was crawling down the hallway because I was high. I couldn't, I couldn't feel my kneecaps. Um, that was some strong weight. <laughs> and I got back into the cabin. And I said, Stacy, you'll wait. Because the next day we were we were getting back to Miami the next day. I said, Stacy. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, Stacy, you awake. And Stacy said, huh? I said, are you you woke? You awake? Can I get into bed with you? <laughs> he, said, he said. why you wanna get in the bed with me? I said, because I'm scared. He said, what you scared of? I said, you gonna judge me? He said, no, I said, I smoke some real strong weed. He said, if you don't get your ass in your bed and lay down. <laughs> and um and I the weed was I was just shaking. And I said, oh, my God, I could feel the boat moving. And I said, because he he was getting off earlier than me. And I said, well, can you make sure somebody wake me up or have somebody to call or something like that before you leave so that, you know, I'm able to get up and get myself together? And he did. And he was so not he was so sweet to me. And he didn't try to take advantage. He tucked me in he rubbed my head, he held my hand.
0: That's nice. Yeah, that's what you need in a time like that where you're like terrified, like you need some somebody to comfort you and it happened to be Stacy. Thank you Stacy wherever you are.
1: Yeah, it's it's stuff <laughs> look, it's stuff like that. You know when you when you're traveling, you want to have adventures but you just got to be real careful.
0: Look, you have taken up so much space in entertainment, you know, not just as a comedian but as a director and as an author why is it important to you to take up space on all these different platforms
1: it is important to take up space because i have the voice to do it and it is important to raise your voice and do it while you are here you know i don't know how long i'm here but you know the work is important and so um you know, being effective for the next me that comes along. It's important to leave as as strong of a blueprint as I can for that, for those people.
0: Amen, amen. Yeah, you've had quite the year. I feel like every comic in the last year has been asked about the slap. What would you do? But you actually had a situation where somebody ran up on you and threw hands. What was going through your mind and how did you handle that situation?
1: Well, I, I,
0: I and I'm sorry that that happened to oh, you. Oh no, That's-
1: no, no, no! You don't gotta be. It, that that needed to happen. That was that that was fun. Um, I I just wish the casino would have gave me the video. They did not want me to have that video. Um, that wasn't the first time, but um, when it, you know it goes back to the question you just asked me a second ago. It's one of those things like you go on the road and it's just like you're your your thought is making sure you get back home safely. And in this particular place where I was attacked at was in Redding, California. That's like the Mississippi of California. And um you you know in a place like that, even though I have been gone for seven years, you just you just don't know what somebody's gonna do. You don't know what their motives are and um and, and you know just don't know, so it was it was making sure that I got out of there alive
0: look i'm I'm amazed at any comic uh who who knows what to do in those situations. um I saw a comic the other day where a guy actually like passed out during her set, and the way that she pivoted to make sure that he got what he needed I was like that's that's almost better than being able to tell a joke, you know being so aware of your audience that you can anticipate the needs of your audience beyond the laughter. I think that's huge.
1: Yeah, and it shows a level of care. And I do believe that a lot of a lot of comics we genuinely care for our audiences.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to make people laugh. I'm like, I'm out here living too. I'm out here overcoming depression and anxiety and oppression. Okay. And sometimes we just need to laugh all the time. Yes. So look you've you've had quite the year. So you had that situation out in Mississippi, California uh but recently they've been they've been dragging you samson they've been real mad at you on the internet okay about the usage of of pronouns and how people of certain pronouns should present i got I want to hear from you first what's what's been going on and what was it like for you for your community to react that way uh to to uh your interview
1: mm Again, that's one of those things where where my opinion is based on so many so many different facts. Um, but basically, I went on a a news show. Some they didn't know what they was mad about. Some of them say they was mad because I went on Fox. I went on Fox Soul and what they call it. They said that was the nig the,
0: <laughs> said
1: that's the. They said you went on the nigger Fox. <laughs> and so,
0: Oh no. They said they said Oh they no. Said, I've never heard it called they that. They
1: said they said they said you went on you went on the Digger a fox and sold us out. <laughs> and um you know They were asking, you know, as a black as a black gay man, is there any because I I have talked about political correctness and how against political correctness I am. I talked about that for years. And so I was on there to talk about, you know, uh, the black the black LGBTQ presence in media. And they said, well, you know, as as someone who is becoming an elder in the black gay community how how are you receiving some of the new language? And I said, well, I know things are evolving, but it's certain things that I'm still kind of trying to figure out. Like I know people are non-binary and uh, gender non-conforming and that sort of thing. So I know it's stuff with pronouns there. And I said, that's when it starts to get a little murky because from what I know, if you see somebody and they want to be called a she, her, they're going to look like a she, her, you know? And so I said, that's just me. And I had told a story about when I was up in uh, Emeryville, I was in intera- and I don't want to misgender the person. So instead of calling them a he, I would just say their pronouns are Piers Morgan. I say that. And so, uh... <laughs> Sam, Sam... Sam. Sam. <laughs> and so so I saw Piers Morgan Is what I saw with my eyes And since I saw Piers Morgan You're not going to walk past Piers Morgan and go Excuse me ma'am, I'm trying to get by you You're going to say, if you're not thinking Excuse me sir, I'm sliding past you Let me get past you right quick Piers Morgan turned around and said I, I'm a ma'am how dare you miss to me? Went off. And I remember leaving that situation first thinking it was not that serious. Number two, I thought, um, how was I supposed to know? And number three, I said to myself that some queer people who exist in that space can be kind of pretentious. Those were the three thoughts I genuinely had about it. And so when they told me they were going to ask me about um, gender identity, that was the first thing that came to mind because I just thought it was, it was a very unpleasant experience. That's another 20 minute conversation, but I'm going to cut that and I'm going to get to the point. (laughs) And so, um, and I said, so that's what I'm, I'm dealing with. And I'm in the community. And so, um, I had also said, "One, the thing I was thinking: uh, How was I supposed to know you were she/her? Because if you were she/her, put some effort into it. You ain't have on no sundress and no kitten heels or nothing. So how was I supposed to know?" And so I said that, and I said, "Put some effort into it if you're gonna be a she/her." And I'm—I'm I'm from old school. Any old school queen or person in the gay community would say the same thing. If you or she, her, don't come out the house with a full mustache and hair on your ass and your back, you know, burping and shit, be a lady.
0: Samson. I'm laughing because I used to use pronouns when I didn't want people to know I was gay, and they'd be like, so who you talking to? Um, just somebody. Right. They nice. Right, right,
1: right, right. right.
0: Them. You know, I don't want to talk too much about that. Like, it was they and them, because I didn't want you to know it was she and her.
1: So, <laughs> You know, that's how I use We, we and we, you know, we all did that, and so, so that's a point that that was brought to my attention. But I think more, my issue is, um, I think so many of us now, especially in this internet age, are so encapsulated in these bubbles that we're in that we forget there are other people who exist outside of our community who are in their own bubbles. And so if we're in our community and we're having this riffraff about pronouns and stuff, what do you think somebody out in Iowa or upstate New York somewhere is going to think when you walk into a bathroom with a full mustache with their wife talking about some of you or she, her? And we don't talk about stuff like that because it's too sensitive. And so the response that I got as a black gay man in the community help me to understand even more why open conversation about pronouns is more, is very important
0: no we definitely got to have more more conversation around it because honestly there are so many things that we don't know i have a few tra- friends who have transitioned within the last few years and i don't really know what to do like i know to support you in your journey but i also need you to tell me how to support you because i haven't Done this before and I'm I don't, I don't walk in your shoes, but I love you and I want to know how to hold space for you. But we don't always have the, the language for how to do that. One of my friends did tell me that they did not know. They said I don't know, so I can't tell you because I'm still on my journey. So have you had other friends who are trans who have had conversations with you about their their transitions? Uh
1: I actually have have gone out with a couple of trans girls. And and it wasn't. Let's go, Sam. No, and it's not because you know that's what I'd be out on the prowl for. But (laughs) but you know they were they were guys who I'd been talking to, and they transitioned, and I was like, well, that doesn't change the way I feel about you. So let's go. And um, thankfully, we were able to have some very candid conversations about the process and stuff. Um, that that they probably would not have been comfortable enough speaking with other people in terms of so, but those are trans women. I know a lot about trans women. My conversation was on people who visually come out the house looking like a man with beards right, and so shit. Where
0: are you not? they gonna have you, you speaking at the uh, the next Glad event.
1: You know, it'll be it'll be funny if if that does happen, but um, I. I I do know that there was there there have been some people in our community who have um gone on a bit of of smear campaigns against my reputation and things like that and and I would be worried about that if I would have said any of those things with um with with the wrong intent but my intent was to create honest conversations and to share my honest opinion about it.
0: You got us all talking and it's a, it's a necessary conversation. Uh, and I hope that we all have more grace, uh, for people's pro for the process, but also for, for, uh, someone else's experience. We are like everybody out here having the same experience that we're having. And that's just not, it's just not true. It's not, it's so, not
1: true. It's, it really takes, um. Just treat other people like let them be human and I find they, they really do respond very well to that. Absolutely. I'm a, but yes, well, I'm going I'm to a, I'm a get to glad though. They're going to have me there speaking and I'm going to go in there, there and I'm be like, look.
0: Y'all had, heard it here first and t- honestly when it comes to comedy, people want to hear the truth. And they want to hear it from somebody who's not going to ride home with them in the car.
1: <laughs> well, you're going to get that from me. And I'm going to say it in a way that y'all still end up talking about it in the car. So that's that's what you got to do. Yeah.
0: And then that they're really mad. Not, honestly, it's not about what you said. It's about how somebody responded to what you said. And they didn't like that because that represents an opinion that they don't identify with. And so I think you started some arguments in the car, Samson. Good. <laughs> Look, Samson, how can people keep up with you? How can they find out about your next show, your next project? How can they follow Samson McCormick? It would
1: be great. Please come along. It's always a fun ride. Uh Make sure you stream Love the One You're With on Amazon Prime and Party and Play on Amazon Prime and also on Instagram at Samson McCormick and uh, I'm on YouTube and... uh at SampsonComedy.com.
0: Samson, thank you so much for the conversations that you are starting uh, through your comedy, but also thank you for a representation. Like I'm a queer comic out here and I'm new to the game, but to know that you've been doing this for more than 20 years is, is inspiration to me. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your courage and thank you for doing the thing.